Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Alison Rudd. Thank you for joining us. In the studio with me, it's the superb football journalist, Julian Leron. And down the line, we have The Times chief sports writer, the excellent Matt Dickinson. Later on, we'll decide if the Premier League was right to procrastinate on VAR and we'll examine how Southampton let three points in the bag fall out onto the pavement when they weren't looking. But first, we'll look at the game that meant Pep Guardiola could win the title while playing a round of golf. I think it's no exaggeration to say that when Manchester City turned up at Wembley to face Tottenham, a lot of people who know a lot of things about football thought history could repeat itself, that Manchester City's dip in form, this perceived frailty, could rear its head again because Spurs are a good team. They are as classy as Liverpool sometimes. They can catch you on the break with incisive football. Individually, there are some fine, fine players. It never once looked like that, and I wondered if... We could dissect why that might be, Matt Dickinson. Um, well, I guess a few things. I mean, first of all, we should credit City for, you know, I mean, we've lauded many of their um, gifts over the season, but I, I suppose this one, uh, first and foremost, was was resolve and focus and um, the mental side of it when the three-game blip was causing a lot of questions to be asked. I, I personally thought... You know that maybe they're going to be a bit soft because they know they're going to win the league. So, you know, are they actually going to be able to sort of regroup mentally? But that just shows Pep Guardiola, um, you know, t- is as good at tapping into uh, the minds of his players as, as sometimes he is choreographing that wonderful football. So, yeah, first of all, mentally they got it right. I, I guess the Spurs back line, I think, still has its moments. Sanchez, you know, obviously didn't have a great game. City looked like they were trying to exploit behind that back line. A couple of few early balls using pace. Above all, orchestrated by uh, De Bruyne, who was... Some of his touches were just breathtaking. And, and I, I just thought, overall, I was just thrilled for City that they put on a performance like that to remind us why they exactly why they are winning the league, why they deserve an awful lot of the plaudits. Because, you know, I, it would have been a, a shame if it had been a sort of damp squib of a, of a title triumph. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, just you, you mentioned Raheem Sterling. He's had a lot of grief over analysis of this game because he's missing missing more chances than he's scoring, and yet he's he's putting them away. He's he's one of the league's top scorers. Twenty two goals this season, which is no bad return, Julian. And why why do people, given he's part of an excellent team, really why why aren't people just saying lucky City they got Raheem Sterling playing at his not quite his peak, but clearly on a trajectory to be his peak. He's improved on last season. Um, he was told by his manager to get 20 goals. He's exceeded that. So why are people giving him grief? Maybe for the, the chances that he misses. And some are, some are big chances. Some are chances that a player like him at, at that level shouldn't be missing. And, and maybe that's why people are not completely convinced yeah I think Guardiola said it after the game as well saying like you know he needs to score more he needs to fi- to finish better because he could have easily had a Mo Salah season you know he's, he could have had 40 goals with all the chances that he missed um, he's just not there yet does he have it in him to become a 40 goal a season striker I'm, personally I'm not sure I think maybe 22 which is already very good or 25 maybe the the, the the maximum that you could get. I don't think you can become a, a lethal striker. I think you have that in you. You can work hard and improve your finishing. 
But to get to the hurricane level or even the Mosala level that we see now, if he can reproduce it, or the Aguero level, I don't think you, you, need to, you need to have something different in you than other forwards to be a striker like that. And I'm not sure Raheem Sterling has that. But like you said, it's still a very, very good season. And I think people and, and England fans and Gary Southgate as well should be very excited to have him. Well, I think that's really interesting that you compare him to Mo Salah because Matt, Mo Salah, he's nowhere near on the conversion rate tables. He misses a lot of chances, but nobody, nobody complains about it, partly because he scores more than Sterling's 22 goals but partly because people know he wasn't expected to come to Liverpool and score that many, so it's like a huge bonus. But equally, Raheem Sterling wasn't expected to score 22 goals. So I I just think it's partly because he's English and we're protecting ourselves and he's not going to be the star at the World Cup we'd need him to be. Um, there, may be there may be a bit of that. I mean, on just on the conversion rate, I mean, as you say, so, uh, I mean, Salah's obviously missing a few, but he's scoring in terms of perceptions. He's obviously... Um, confounded them because much as I think we were sort of intrigued by Liverpool signing him, none of us expected this and, and I guess you know we do need next season to find out if this is a, an outlier, whether you know he is a 40 goals a season man or has just had one of those astonishing years when you know things just fall into place, your confidence soars and, and everything seems easy. Um, on Sterling, I'm with Julian on this, it's, it's you know, he he deserves praise. Guardiola deserves praise for making him a better finisher. But you know, there there is still a but. You know, and it's if 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 he wants to become, you know, he's hit. He's gone from you know very good uh, to a very good player. If he wants to become, you know, start sort of getting to the next tier, he needs to be nailing more of these chances. And it's simple as that. And in, you know, in crucial Champions League. You know, deciding matches in international, deciding matches in tournaments. You know, these are the things that that make the difference. Just that reliability of a chance has fallen to him, he'll finish. You know, we've all seen those players that just have that. You know, that sort of sense of, yeah, we're in we're in good hands here, and we're Sterling still. You know, you sort of cross your fingers when he's one on one, or you know. So it's he's made progress. Well done for that. But you know, he's he's still a tier below what he could be. And and it's again, I agree with Julian on this. You don't know. If he's got that sort of dead eye killer about him, and we, you know, only he can prove that, and he still has to prove it. Yeah, uh, I'd just like to dissect briefly um, Davinson Sanchez. I, I mean, sometimes these things are skewed. When I've seen him live, I've not been overly impressed, but I thought he had a particularly strange game against City, and I'd like someone to explain why a defender starts off marking someone, in this case Gabriel Jesus, on one side. Ball comes over from company and he runs around. He runs around Jesus, which means that he's he's just not going to be positioned well or near enough to be able to to cut out the shot. Julian, try and explain. I don't know. I'm baffled. Why would you do that? Uh, no, I think he has issues with positioning. I think tactically, um, I'm not sure the the Ajax academy. Although he, you know, he, he he didn't spend many years there, but I think you learn more about technique than about tactics, yeah. especially as a centre half. Um, but even even technically, he's not the greatest. I, it was a weird one because I think he had like um, four clearances, three block shots. So he, he clearly has, you know, good ability as a centre forward. Uh, but I think he was just all over the place in his positioning, and and maybe he, ex- he expected a bit more pressure on the ball from from his teammates, uh, which should have never 
allowed company to hit the ball the way he did for the Gabriel Jesus goal because if you play such a high line at the back you expect pressure on the guy from the opposition who is on the ball otherwise they just pick the passes like they did really on Saturday so maybe he was a bit surprised with that but that still doesn't justify the, the like the crazy positioning that not just in this game but through the season he's had some good matches but others where he was just all over the place and he's still a very young defender and I think the World Cup will help him a lot growing and I'm not sure you know, I don't think he was supposed to play that many games this season. I think, you know, the Vertonghen and Aldevarel were still very much the the core of this Spurs defence. The the issue with Aldevarel, with his injury first and then the contract issues that he's had with Spurs, made Pochettino play Davidson Sanchez more than I think he would have wanted for a first season with all the, you know, adapting and etc, etc to, to the Premier League. So... That's why maybe as well he looks a bit lost at times. Yeah, no, that's a good that's, that's point. It's going to be a key part of their summer business, isn't it? I mean, obviously, you know, the, the expectation that Alderweireld moves on, you know, and and they will have to buy um, a, a replacement who's ready to step into a first first team. So, yeah, be interesting to see where. And you, no one expects Alderweireld to be at Spurs next season. Then, no. I mean, the no. release clause of twenty five million kicks on in, tw- in summer 2019 so if they want to keep him they can but he will go for 25 million in, in a year time well a bit more than a year time now so surely they should try to sell him for a bit more now which is worth more than 25 so you would think it would make sense for them to sell him for more than that this summer we've analysed the match but there's a bigger picture here and that is congratulations to Manchester City for a thrilling season. Um, in the game on Monday, today, if you're listening close to when we um, transmit this, we've got a lovely explanation, if you like, by Paul Hurst of exactly how Guardiola built a team fit to sweep all before them. If you're a City fan, it's a must, must read. In fact, it's something you'd have to stick on your wall if you're a City fan because there's a beautiful graphic where they show every single goal City scored in the league and explain them as well. It's really nice. Um, I'd read through it and... <laughs> one thing that I don't know why made me laugh out loud which shows I've got a huge sense of humour is Paul Hurst he's talking about the way um, first of all he's analysing how Guardiola works how he operates and he tries to dismiss the myth that Guardiola is uh, authoritarian and he asked his players do you like the way we play he asked them in a training session and the unanimous answer was yes, says Paul Hurst. I, I, but it made me laugh because I just can't imagine a single City player putting their hand up and saying, no. I want to park <laughs> the bus. Can we park the bus? Can we park the bus? It just made me laugh. And also the idea that when it's going so well, anyone would dare suggest that they wanted to do it a different way. It's very, very, very it just made I me like, laugh. I like the picture of Guardiola walking around the training ground in his socks all the time, which um, <laughs> certainly jumped out. The ten- attention to detail doesn't go down to wearing shoes, clearly, but... Uh, but no, it is a fantastic piece. It's just uh, every paragraph is rich with uh, another new detail. And it's exactly the type, you know, we're just top top reporting by a guy who's immersed in, in the Manchester scene. Yeah, and the stats, the stats are just... I, it's just so nice when some a team has won something that takes, you know... The, the league is important because it takes the whole season and you face so much luck, bad luck, good luck you face the right team at the wrong time and so on so get injuries or whatever there's so much to absorb into it and then the stats just let you know that yes they won because their goals per game ratio was 2.8 their shot conversion rate was 16 all of these statistics are so much improved on what they did last season so it's a really lovely read but Matt where I don't the two things I don't like about talking 
about and I'd like you to sort of so avoid these which is how can City improve next season let's just enjoy what they've got now and I want you to say what what has been the highlight for you why you feel this they are worthy champ not just worthy champions because they got the most points but worthy because you've enjoyed watching them and you said earlier you were pleased they ironed out their glitches and started to show us again why they are deserved title winners well yeah I, do, I mean I love you know I'd, I'd like to see them break the records because who, who wouldn't you know it's love to see them break points records goals records um, because they're clearly capable of that and I, I guess overall I'm most pleased that Guardiola has not compromised I mean I think there was you know a great debate when he came in about you know, how will he adapt to how will he adapt to English football and and um, I suppose one of the great things is that you could say he hasn't in the sense that he's you know he he has his very clear principles of football that you know we know about and it's it's based effectively you know most simply on control you know control the ball and and the the other team can't do a lot about it if you if you have 70% of it and know what to do with it and and then on top of that obviously it's about the quick movement of it the overloading in certain places quick switches of play and when you've got players like De Bruyne Silva Sane uh, Jesus Sterling uh, and so on doing it, not to mention Fernandinho, who's actually been probably the sort of almost the unsung, I think, star at times. Um, it, it's been thrilling, and, and Guardiola's done that without compromising. He's been full bore, you know, this can work. And, you know, obviously we've seen the hiccup against Liverpool. Klopp, better than any other coach, seems to know how to counter it. But the joy has been that so few others have. I don't, I, I mean, we should say, uh, and this is going to sound sort of like I'm diluting it, that it's, you know, it's not a great top division at the moment. I don't think, I think there are some, you know, Liverpool are a, a very good team on the rise. Spurs can be an excellent team, but, you know, United are still rebuilding. Chelsea have been all over the place. Um, so it's not like they've been pushed by a top team, but if they had been pushed by a top team, I think, you know, they would have withstood that. Overall, the highlight for me, as an individual, De Bruyne has just been the joy for me. Um, and certainly, remember, you know, early season, it was a sort of no-brainer that he was going to be player of the year, obviously, till Salah sort of made his charge. And and the fact that Guardiola has won it through his methods in English football, and I think that can only be good. You know, it's, it's about skill, it's about retent, ball retention, it's about control, it's about using your brain, it's about intelligent movement, and it's about often diminutive players succeeding in a league that we're told is all about power. Yeah. Julian, I mean, from a neutral point of view, do you think this is a particularly popular outcome for the Premier League season? Will fans of other clubs in England and around mm. Europe have looked at what the Premier League has produced when City are playing and thought, oh, I'd like some of that? Surely, they're, they're beautiful champions, aren't they? It's been a pleasure to watch, whether you were at the stadium or in front of your television or listening on the radio. I think it's been great all, all along. I don't think there's one game, even the Liverpool defeat or even the Crystal Palace draw, that was not entertaining for one reason or, or, or another. Uh, obviously, they they deserve this, this, this title. They deserve to break all the records that I hope, like Deco, they will break this season. There, there's still room for improvement, which is encouraging for them and worrying for all the opposition. I think if they had had Benjamin Mendy a left back through the whole season, they would have been even stronger and even better uh, because Delph, Zinchenko, Danilo, even Walker, when they played at left back, are nowhere as good as, as a Mendy would be because he would be the, the, the walker of the left side, if you want, and they would have been so much better with him. So I'm looking forward to seeing him 
for a full season in that team. And you know they're going to also recruit one or two, maybe three quality players that Pep still think will improve this team somehow. So I think he's been great. I think they will keep being great. And if the other don't catch up, next season it could be the same again I think Liverpool would be stronger and for me they would be the, the strongest opposition that City will have next season but it would be good if we had other teams than just Liverpool challenging them Yeah. what stands out for me weirdly is um, probably because I was at the defeat to Leicester last season and the 4-2 defeat and afterwards Guardiola did his relatively famous you know tackling what is tackling and there was this sense that oh, he doesn't get English football really, does he? He's not going to do that well if he doesn't understand you've got to tackle. But he can, he continued to say it. He didn't go away in the summer and say, oh, I've analysed tackling and I'm going to make sure we practice tackling in, in coaching sessions. He continued to say, no, we don't do tackling. It's not about tackling. My teams are not about tackling. And he's won the title, as both of you might have intimated, by doing it entirely the way he wanted to do it. I mean, that's an incredible amount of, some would call it arrogance perhaps, but it's, it's so clear-minded what he wanted. Just finally on this, do either of you in any sense feel the glory of it is diluted by the fact he spent 400 million quid? Not if you build a team that's beautiful to, to watch like this. I mean, it, you, it has to be thrown into the mix, you know, when you're asking how they won the title, it's, it's part of the conversation. It would be, it would be odd if it wasn't. Um, but if you, you know, I think we are naturally uh, more forgiving, understanding, tolerant of that kind of, of bending when, when you, you, know, you have a plan and you pull it off. And obviously the, the plan includes winning the Champions League and that, that bit's yet to happen. But if you build, you know, say if you take that, we've seen enough of those sort of tens and hundreds of millions squandered by other clubs not doing anything special with it to be too catty about uh, City spending it to build something that's just magnificent to watch for, for anyone week after week. And I think all the big clubs all around Europe are spending money. I mean, Virgil van Dijk is the most expensive defender in the world. He's not playing for Manchester City. You know, and I think he has the money available. There's no problem between City and financial fair play, which means that, you know, they can spend money that they are earning. It's not it's not money that they've stole. They have it. They're spending it well, like Dico just said. Why wouldn't you? I mean, any manager would want to spend money and, and more, as much money as they can. And, and I think he's doing that. Mourinho is doing the same club. He's doing the same, maybe on the, not on the same level. But if you want to build a very strong team, you have to spend money. Barcelona do it. Real Madrid do it. PSG do it. Bayern Munich do it. Juventus do it. Maybe, again, not all at the, at the level of City or PSG, but they're still doing it. Yeah, but interestingly, he's, he might not be manager of the season because eventually money comes into it. And what managers such as Sean Dyche do... Ultimately, people think they feel admiration for because they have so little to work with. True, but Shandash is, is an amazing manager who is improving his players. Pep Guardiola is an amazing manager who is improving his players who are... Already. Who, yeah, but who, whose values is higher than, than the Burnley one. If Shandash was the Manchester City manager, would Manchester City have won the league the way they did? I'm not sure. If Pep Guardiola had been the Burnley manager this season, I think they probably would be in the same position than Burnley are now. Oh, but we'll never know. And I, we'll would, wa know. I would watch that <laughs> programme. I would watch that team swap. <laughs> I, t 
timely reminder that this season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League, Champions League, Europa League and the FA Cup. It's just £8 for an eight-week trial. Which brings me to the uh, goal of the week section of the show. Uh, Matt, what was your favourite goal of the weekend in the Premier League? Uh, I have gone for Newcastle United, their opening goal against Arsenal, which I think was a decent uh, passing move, but finished with a cross to the near post and uh, beautifully tucked away, sort of running to the head of the near post by Mr Perez. I just thought it was a, one of those great, swift cross finish that just yeah had a bit of wow uh, and beautifully done and sent Newcastle mad. They had a day of celebration yesterday and um, it was it's always good to see St James's Park, something like that. Julian? I went for Musala's goal. Um, the right answer. Yeah, of course. Alison, I knew you would like it. For a few reasons. One, because it's his 40th of the season, his 30th in the league, uh, which no African player had never done before. And, and 40 for Liverpool in one season only. Ian Rush and someone else I didn't know had done it before <laughs> um, a long time ago so and I just I love the ball from uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold who I love the way he picked himself up after the the terrible game he had against United uh, and that ball was magnificent and the finish from Salah is just so intelligent and with his head which is quite rare to be fair as well so well done to Mo Salah that I man love can that goal. score any type of goal Right, let's go to the South Coast. I was there, so I'll set the scene. It was a day of unbroken sunshine as Chelsea travelled to Southampton. Actually, I find this hard to believe with hindsight, but there was a festival sort of atmosphere. If you'd just landed from uh, outer space, you wouldn't think Southampton were a team in trouble. There was optimism pervading the stadium. The team responded in kind. They played with um, intensity a certain amount of freedom. They certainly played optimistically. They took um, the lead. Ryan Bertrand just storming down the wing, making Aspilicueta look a little bit too short and stubby and slow. Um, nice finish from Tadic, a player who's often accused of playing better for his country than his club, but uh, he, was, he was rising to the occasion. And then the whole thing seems seemed sorted in the bag because they took a two-goal lead with their young Polish international, Benarek, making his first Premier League start. Boy's own stuff. He'd come into defence because Jack Stevens was suspended and he played well and then he scored and everyone was happy. And then there were eight hellish minutes if you're a Southampton fan. Giroud came off the bench, scored twice and Hazard, Hazard got one in between. And suddenly you look at the table, you look at the matches left and you're thinking... How did that happen? Afterwards, Mark Hughes said it was... He watched those eight minutes and thought, why weren't my players more cynical? Why didn't they break up play? Why didn't they commit fouls? Just be clever at game management. They're too honest. I was there. I couldn't really see what more his team could have done other than give away penalties. I mean, Julian, did you do you know what Hughes is on about? Do you, do you see a, a naivety in Southampton? Maybe. I don't think you get into the position they are with, I think, the... the, the quality that they have if you're if you don't like something in terms of uh, the right aggression at the right time in the game um, maybe a bit of cynicism or be a bit more vicious maybe when you're especially when you're in winning positions and you're controlling the game however I, I think what, what I was a bit baffled with is again Mark Hughes tactics I mean straight after the second goal Conte puts 
Pedro on for Zapacosta, which changes the way Chelsea were going to play. I mean, it was obvious to see, even me in front of my television, that if Pedro replaces Zapacosta, you know that the Chelsea team is going to attack differently. Uh, and yet, there was nothing from Hughes to, to, to try to set up his team a bit differently, maybe, or do something... Because you could see it coming, you could see it coming, and and with Giroud then replacing Morata, at the same time as well as as Pedro, you know that okay, you know it's going to be a different Chelsea team for the for the remaining thirty minutes, and I was a bit disappointed that Hughes just let those eight minutes and those three goals go in without really doing anything, and it's only after that he made his changes. By the way, Charlie Austin, Sims, and someone else came on after after that, and it was too late, and then you don't come back. I, I don't think you can you come back from that. So. I get his point about his players maybe lacking a bit of, of experience at times, but I mean, I think he has to take a bit of the blame too. Yeah, no, he was, he was, he could be certainly be accused of deflecting it from being his responsibility by saying that. And he said also he's still finding out who his um, leaders on the pitch are. Matt, do you think they're down? And if you actually pause to think about it, it's quite remarkable that they could be going down because they, they, Southampton were a club we've spent quite a long time lauding their the way they're set up, the way they plan ahead, the way they bring in managers who fit the club philosophy. They saw Pochettino. The fans weren't happy um, him coming in, but he he, he hit the ground running. Uh, you know, just 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 the way that club has been run and the way they've sold massive profit. It looked like, briefly, it looked like the perfect way to run a football club. Matt, how did it come to this? I think they are. I think they are going down. I think I think that sealed it. To be honest, I think the bottom three. I mean, unless Stoke pull off a shock win away uh, West Ham tonight, I think it's 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 done. Um, I think those West Brom, Stoke, Southampton will go down, and as you say, Southampton are probably the the stark one of those because they, their squad is you know way way better than um, third bottom. I mean, you know, you see team like Huddersfield who are going to be staying up by the looks of it and think, you know, Southampton must have really screwed up. I mean, I think there's been a bit of complacency has probably set in. This will, this will never happen to us. I've seen a few comments from, from players that have certainly seem to have reflected that of sort of, you know, we're, we're better than bottom three. I think obviously managerial changes, you know, have, 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 have well, Hughes has come in too late and I'm not sure he was a bounce manager in any case. I think um, under Pellegrino, there were two. I've got a mate who's a Southampton season ticket holder, and he just said that it was you could just see see motivation levels drop by the week. Um, it just said it, it it felt it felt moribund. Um, I mean, Puel tested the patience in terms of of sort of watching attractive football, but he just said it's it felt limp. It felt like a team that didn't actually believe it, you know, somehow felt it was above a relegation scrap and as they say just sort of slept walked into it. Um and it's yeah, I mean they they're going to become a bit of a cautionary tale, aren't they? I mean, I guess we you know, you let um uh, the money for Van Dyke becomes pretty hard to turn down when it reaches that level, but that again fuels just the idea of a team that sort of never never quite felt this was going to happen. Julian, do you I mean now with hindsight, do you think they got lucky with Kuman and Pochettino and never seemingly to uh, suffer when they had to sell a player for a large amount of money, usually to Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Or, or are we seeing the real boardroom in action now? Because they've made a succession of poor decisions. I've said it before, and it's, it's not me being French, but Claude Puel, I didn't get it. And I know the football was not the sexiest, and, and, and I understand that the fans didn't, 
get a lot of pleasure from watching the team, but it's a team that finished eighth and reached the League Cup final that they probably should have won against United. And Puel always said that that was the first of his thir- third year contract that he wanted to build on a very, very strong first year and then develop a, a, a better style of football. They didn't even leave him the time for that anyway. And after that, it was always going to be a tricky decision. You have manager for one year who had, you know, certain ideas and then you bring someone else who had one very good season in Spain but that's about it all you keep him for a long time even when things were not going you gave him a lot of money to spend in January and he signed Guido Carrillo from Monaco who he worked with before in Argentina who hasn't scored a goal since and you're thinking like you know you kind of deserve to be in that position yeah. after all those wrong choices and, and Van Dijk like Dico said is one of them because if they had known in the summer that he would go in January which seems to be quite the case or at least Liverpool were quite confident that would be the case then surely they should have prepared the post Van Dijk a bit better than they did really and and you have to feel for them to be in that position because I agree again with Dico that they are better than a lot of the teams that are above them in this table but you're also you do reap what you sow you Indeed, reap you what you sow yes. and, and in the case I think that's how something season Matt it seems to be set up rather poetically for the Claude Puel derby <laughs> on Thursday. I mean, he's going to be, Claude Puel, I mean, is going to be pretty keen to, uh, is he? I don't know. Would you think he would be keen to sort of <laughs> rub their noses in it, rub Southampton's nose in it? Because if they lose uh, against Leicester, that probably really, really is it. I tell you, Claude Puel doesn't strike me as a type who's going to be dancing on the pitch like David Pleat or, uh, <laughs> um, or doing anything too, too demonstrative. But yeah, I, I, there is a little sort of a classic sort of football poetry to that. But I, yeah, I just think they've I think their last game is against City as well, isn't it, Southampton? Uh, and I, I'm, I'm certainly expecting them to be, to be doomed before then. Just because, I, you know, certain, there's the, the certain times, and I, I think we did see it when, as soon as the tide turned against Chelsea, when you sort of see the players, the dip was so instant. I mean, to let in three goals in eight, nine minutes, whatever it is, it, it's, you just see that, here we go again, sort of almost resignation about them. And I think, you know, that, that, that to me looked fatal. Quick word on Chelsea and the way Antonio Conte decided to drop Antonio Rudiger, who's been one of the standout performers, as far as I'm concerned, for Chelsea this season. Just got gradually better and better for him. Uh, As far as I am aware, um, Conte was dismayed by the way Rudiger analysed the draw against West Ham in the previous game. He really wasn't that critical. He just wondered why they were unable to see out... um, a lead and he was he was unceremoniously dropped is this good management Julian or peculiar management it's Antonio Conte's management and <laughs> it's what he does <laughs> yeah that's what he does he's been doing it the two seasons that always well, he's always been like this I think last season when you're winning and you're top of the table as a player you you cope with things maybe a bit better this season a lot of players I think from what I've been told haven't been so happy by the the way that you know he's 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 taken the team really, and and that's why I think his his tenure at Chelsea is going to end at, at, at the end of this season. But Rudiger didn't make sense. Have Gary Cahill there, who was I mean you were there. Arthur was pretty average in that again, game. Again, yeah, again. I mean, he's, he's 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 quite clearly just gone past his <laughs> peak now, and he's on his way down. On yeah. his way down, I think we all agree to that. Yeah. Didn't make much sense either. I, you know, I don't know. And 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 again, I think Olivier Giroud deserves to play more. It's probably a bit the French in me, but I don't understand why Alvaro Morata keep getting 
a starting place ahead of him and I think he showed on Saturday what a valuable striker he could be for this team if they play on his strength and I expect him now to, to play a bit more hopefully until the end of the season. Right, the debate this week is, we've done it before, but this is slightly different because uh, the Premier League clubs have uh, they've had a vote since we were last on air and they've decided that they don't want to dive in there and have VAR, video assistant referees. In the Premier League next season, they want um, other competitions to keep practising for them, basically further trials. Uh, VAR, it's weird actually, it's been used in 16 domestic games so far and it feels like a lot more. Three in the EFL Cup, 13 in the FA Cup. Uh, The big question is, why wasn't that enough to reassure the clubs that it should be a permanent fixture next season was the experiment itself not done very well Matt what do you think well there's a bit of that I think it it will have to stay in the game it must stay in the game it's just been a question of how you know we implement it and I do think there's been a couple of fundamental mistakes in the trials that have been done that have upset a lot of people and it's a shame because a lot of people have sort of entrenched themselves of this is a joke it's a shambles it's a disgrace when you know, I think in any sensible world, VAR will stay. It's just a question of the most workable system. And I think the main two, obviously, biggest errors are, uh, one, communication, you know, to the to the fans inside the stadium first, and then obviously to home that that should have been much better thought through. I, I sort of understand why it wasn't, because the, the, the first priority was to help the referees and get to sort of work on the game side of it but they should have realized that there was especially in football with the the huge fan following that there was going to be a backlash on that and and thought that through and secondly the pitch side monitor bit which i know i've been against you know the the initial trials didn't involve a pitch side monitor which takes up more time it sends the referee over it delays things it puts more pressure on him and you know a referee has to rely on his linesman a lot of the time just to say you know foul red card penalty whatever and he should be able to rely on the guy with the TV just to say, look, you've missed a penalty there or you've, you've messed that one up. Change your decision. And that, that trust needs to be there, which would be a better system. So those are two big improvements that you know, shouldn't be beyond the realm of mankind to work that out pretty, pretty simply. I, I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed with the Premier League in the sense of this system is going to happen. I think it's slightly cowardly way out that they've sort of said to everyone else, well, you iron out the glitches for us to wait another whole year seems a long time for once in my life i find myself agreeing with a head of fifa who says look you know we've got to just dive into this and make make it work because the fact is the trials yeah the the premier league talk about more trials they they're worthless really because very hard to to do trials of a system w- without just trying it because you know you can't, how how do you trial the, the break in the game how do you you know you, you ultimately you you only find out by by using it and improving it and i've already come up with a couple of obvious improvements julian um arsene wenger said it was a, a dreadful decision by the premier league it just means we're falling behind the top leagues in the world um do you agree with him yeah i agree i agree with dico as well i think i'm, I'm disappointed that they, they voted against i i don't really understand why you wouldn't want to take it on of course they they, they will be at the beginning there might be a few issues. We saw that in, in the Bundesliga and Serie A as well, you know. So it's still a work in progress. But why wouldn't you go on the work in progress bandwagon like everybody else? I mean, for the Premier League, who is and, you know, says it quite loud, the best league in the world and the most competitive one, etc. Why wouldn't you want to to have VAR with you and to have the help of video 
assistance and even if it's not completely perfect and it might never be completely perfect so what if it's never if you don't find it perfect you would never have it it doesn't make any sense for me why you wouldn't want to to have it and help it getting as close to perfection as possible i think part of the problem is we need to know how come how come in germany they've embraced it for example how come other leagues have managed to go with it i think it's partly because the starting point is different in this country there is mistrust about refereeing it's become the fabric of how football is that you don't always trust the officials and that has been exacerbated that when we have had var if the match has been shown live on television and the broadcaster has access to a recently uh, high level referee they go to that referee and they ask them what's happening here with var what's happening what will the assistant on his monitor be thinking what's going on what's he hear? what's the referee hearing and the answers you get from the people in the studio have been often quite abysmal for example in the champions league game where the sane goal against liverpool was deemed to be offside and pictures showed that it wasn't because um milner had a touch but i think bt sport had chris foy in the studio they went to him they didn't go to him immediately they gave him a minute or two and he analyzed it in absolute i mean he i think he was embarrassed with what he said actually because he said he said it was a goal and the logic he gave didn't make grammatical sense mm. i suspect he has to go back on air at half time so he could try and clear up what he'd said but the, the point is it makes you think oh if he'd been the person in charge of the monitor really does var help if you've got somebody who's struggling to explain what's going on to the man in the middle i just don't think as a cohort at the moment the way referees portray themselves i don't think there's the trust there to start with it doesn't matter whether it's someone live with the responsibility to make a decision or it's somebody who's in a studio looking at all the angles will make it any better but the thing is that you know the communication thing i can see why that, that, that's annoyed people but the they are it's not going to make the game worse in the sense of you know it's improving some decisions getting them more accurate and occasionally it it, it can't resolve a problem so uh, you know we, we're still in the same issue it's a 50 50 decision you know michael oliver given that you know penalty uh, against juventus I, I think you know he makes that decision and i think the you know even if the vr slightly disagrees he, he goes with it because the whole point is he only overrules when it's a big error um you know and that hasn't made the game any worse it's just given a backup system you know i just there's been so much instant judgment though i said i think that the world of punditry has got a lot to answer for that there's been you know people like you know who i generally have you know can have time for so alan shearer's i remember saying it's, it's a shambles on one occasion and someone else so oh, this is a joke you know there's, there's been such a rush to judgment without actually i think a lot of the time people understanding that how the system works what the point of it is you know yes it can be improved it must be improved but there's been such a i wrote a column some months ago about is is the english game even mature enough to sort of handle the nuances of var and most of the evidence has been that it isn't sadly but you you've regularly reported on var matt and you wrote our news story about the premier league vote do, do, what sort of off the record kind of vibes were you getting off the well, clubs well basically there's a full there's a there's a full range there's there's you know a, a handful that think they should have cracked on and and just got on with it and you know deal with the glitches as they come west ham man city arsenal um among those who i think are you know open-minded and intelligent about it 
Um, Steve Parrish, who I otherwise find the sort of um, <laughs> entertaining uh, uh, company, um, but is on this I vehemently disagree with, is that the, he's the one most at the other extreme who sort of, I think the fan in him doubts whether this can ever work and is sort of set against it. And he, you know, he kept, uh, I'm told, sort of, you know, shouting that, not shouting, but sort of interrupting to say, oh, I don't like this and don't like that. So there was a full spectrum of opinions. Um, ultimately, it needed 14 votes to to push ahead. And there were enough people, I think, sort of sitting on their hands. And I say, I think, basically taking a bottling out of it, who um, who sort of allowed it to be fudged for another year. I mean, there's also, there, there's, there are other positives as well than, than just the video. If you look at in, in Italy, the number of dives have gone down drastically since VR came into play in Serie A because players know that if, if, if you dive, the referee can easily go back, give you a second yellow, for example, or something like that, which, you know, at least is good news for Dele Alli that we won't have uh, VAR next season <laughs> for the diving. I'm only kidding, but there are other positives, less fouls, for example, because again, you know, you know that on the foul you could get you could get a red card if the referee has missed it on a bad foul and I think there's there's so many other things than just okay you know that can help the referee about this there's, there's all the other things around VAR like the diving like the the less fouls that would help the game to be even better and so, the abuse thing as well I mean I, you know somehow they're going to have to work out this communication thing I mean you know I've thought about you know whether refs you know obviously they are mic'd up as it stands but no one can hear what's being said but you know, if it gets to the point where, you know, a referee is having to, exp you know, explain what's been overturned, maybe we're listening into communication, um, but, you know, anything that makes it more public what, what players are saying to referees, I think, great, because, you know, uh, again, I've been a long stand in some of my sort of big hobby horses, the whole culture of abuse in football, and if the, uh, I think VAR can somehow... Um, must help to sort of push back on this whole culture that you complain about everything, every single decision in football. Time now for some quick hits. Um, I'm not going to dare tell Gab Malcotti this, but I think the time for silly noises, well, intelligent people are talking, has Ooh. gone, has gone. Ooh. I'll just trust you chaps to keep your answers brief, but if they're interesting, keep going. I don't care. Matt, Wolves are back in the Premier League for the first time since 2012 and I'm sure we've all missed the renditions of hi-ho, silver lining. Are you pleased they're back? Uh, I am pleased they're back because, I, well, I, I've watched a lot of Championship football and they stood out for obvious reasons and I'm intrigued by their, their coach manager who I think is... I'd heard good things about Nuno Santo um, before and I, I'm really intrigued to see how he gets on. Obviously, the Mendes links are going to well just make it more interesting. I, you know, are they troubling to to a, to a small degree? But I think there's a lot of jealousy from other clubs, and they're a classic modern English football story of sort of a uh, combination of of sort of foreign influence, uh, agent influence, and good football. And do you ever find yourself singing along to "Hi Ho, Silver Lining" when you hear it, Matt? Uh, even after 75 pints of lager, you would never catch me singing along to that. And if there's any any footage of it ever, late at 3 a.m. at some wedding somewhere, I deny I deny all responsibility. <laughs> Fair enough. Arsene Wenger really has put all his eggs into the Europa League basket, but their defeat to Newcastle mean they've yet to win away from. Indeed, they've yet to get a point away from home in 2018. Do you know why this is, Julian? Um, 
I think psychologically there might be an issue there. I think the, his rotation to mostly keep the best players for the Europa League ties can explain it. However, it's just not acceptable. I mean, five league away defeats in a row for the first time since December 1984, I think. It's the only club in the top four leagues in the country not to have a point away from home in 2018. I mean, come on, this is Arsenal Football Club. Uh, and guess who the next away game is? Is that much the United? So it looks like it could even be a 60 feet in a row away from home, which would be even worse, I guess. But let's hope for him that it all pays off and they win the Europa League. There was a, as you've mentioned, Matt, there was a party atmosphere at St. James's Park. Rafa Benitez has quietly guided a team many felt would be relegated to 41 points. How has he done it? Uh, he's done it by using all his, his wiles and experience, hasn't he? I mean, he's a, he's, we all know he's a shrewd organiser of teams. He's a good coach. I mean, he can certainly test certain players' patience, um, I know, by being so painstaking. But, you know, it's it's worked at Newcastle. He's you know, he's kept kept his experience in a you know, turbulent year of all the usual nonsense off the pitch at, at Newcastle ownership, etc. You look at the way he's improved individuals like Shelby. Um, you know, you look at the way he's 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 um, I think probably made one mistake with uh, Mitrovic, who's obviously gone to Fulham and banged in low there, and that's that's one question mark. But other than that, he's he's brought out the best of of the resources in the critical time of the season. And I was intrigued to see a Twitter argument about whether he should be Arsenal's next manager um, going on last night. Um, he certainly put himself back up there among you know the very good coaches. I think Mitrovic could, uh, could really only play for a fellow Serbian, just the way he's built. Um, Burnley could be playing in Europe next season, Julian. What will Europe make of them? My word, it would be amazing. And I hope they do because after a season like they're having, they deserve, you know, that's, that's the carrot you... You, you play for almost and, and it would be amazing for them first time since 1960-61 for them in, in Europe and well Europe would make of them a very well organised team as we know but it would be interesting to see how they cope with you know with Europe which is a different offering than the Premier League and maybe a lot of teams who wouldn't know them as well as the English teams so it would be very very interesting and also to see if they can cope with you know playing in the Europa League, let's say on the Thursday and then in the league on the Sunday and see if Daesh can do it um, over playing two games in a week, if you want, compared to just the one the one game a week that they've had this season and maybe that's why they're doing so well. But they would need more players, a bit of more depth, keep their star players and then just enjoy enjoy European adventure. Yeah, it'll be good fun. Antonio Conte spoke of seeing fire in his players' eyes, but there was not even a flickering flame in the eyes of Manchester United's team. Is this unacceptable, Matt? Well, it is. I mean, it's, um, you know, I know, you know, what have they got to play for? Well, just sort of delaying City's fun. But it just, back to my point of, you know, City being excellent, but the, the, the following pack um, have all had their sort of different flaws. And the fact that United are second, um, I mean, the, you know, thank God City did put in the season they, they have because the idea that they would be sort of anywhere near championship standard. Um, just doesn't add up. I mean, it's funny, you know, one week they're, they're, they're beating City and you think, oh, a piece is falling into place, 4-3-3, Pogba given that sort of 3-8 role, Sanchez sort of back where he, he played for Barcelona and a week later they're stinking the place out against West Brom. I, 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 I think Julian mentioned that maybe Liverpool will be City's closest challengers next season. Um, you know, you, I wouldn't disagree. 
agree with that. You know, unless United really, really show, you know, I, I, just Mourinho shows where this team is going. Big players like Pogba Sanchez, um, what their role is and how they're going to thrive week after week because we don't know yet. Julian, who would you pay to watch right now? Kevin De Bruyne or Mo Salah? Oh, you're mean to do this to me. You know, I... I paid to see them both in the Manchester City Liverpool uh, Champions League did you? ties. You see why I did that? Oh, um, I would pay. I would pay. Do I really have to choose one? Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, you do. Oh. We all have to this season because we're voting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, I'll pay to watch Mo Salah. I just think it's an incredible story. It's an incredible achievement. It's an incredible season, and he's an incredible football player. So I'll disagree there. Just to just to answer them, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to vote for De Bruyne's. Football of the year, just because everyone else is going to vote for Salah. <laughs> I'm going to start. I'm feeling sorry for him. <laughs> Ali, one for you. The World Cup is virtually days away, as we were talking about before we recorded this show. Uh, what did Gareth Southgate learn this weekend? Oh, if I was Gareth Southgate, I'd be livid with the organisation I work for that they're just not cleverer when it comes to harvesting talent. To to see Wilfred Zaha for Palace the best player outside the top six, decide, because he was neglected for four years after playing in a friendly in 2012, made to feel like he would never have any chance with England. So he went off, and who would blame him? I don't blame him. He played for the Ivory Coast, who wooed him and said, you will play. So he played with them. It's not enough to say, oh, it would have been cruel to make promises you can't keep to Wilfred Zaha. If you're going to win something on the world stage as England, you've got to be more ruthless from the very start. And you've got to what do they all do all day? They aren't actually training anybody so they can go out and watch and find out who is going to have the potential. A player with the pace of Sahar, who Alex Ferguson saw as a potential star. It wasn't uh, uh, Wilfred's fault that he came to United in the summer that um, Ferguson retired. That went wrong. But in the intervening time, he's he's matured. You know, the stats are amazing. Palace cannot win without him. He's so important and his pace. Imagine him running at a tired defence of any calibre at the World Cup. It, he'd be a great option off the bench, absolutely. Or go for it and have him and Sterling running at a defence. But if you're Southgate, you don't have that option. The other thing this weekend that would have worried me is uh, the England defence. Uh, it seems somehow to have become built around John Stones, who's invisible at Man City, either with niggling injuries or his manager thinking he's not good enough. In his last outing for England, he, he did look a bit like he's going to be error-prone if he keeps trying to walk the ball out of defence or be too composed. Um, and who's he going to play with? I mean, I'm a fan of Harry Maguire and the Harry Maguire story, but of late, he's looked fairly ordinary. I don't know. It's, it's, it, I, I don't think from an England point of view, it was um, a great weekend for planning. That's it for now. Many thanks to my guests today, Julian Laron and Matt Dickinson. Remember, it's just £8 for an eight-week trial. Just search the Times online. And this season, you can access highlights of every game in the Premier League, Champions League, Europa League and the FA Cup. We'll be back next Monday to assess how much of an advantage it was for Spurs to host their FA Cup semi-final against Manchester United. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk.